0: Today, we're going to be talking about nettle and about bilberry. Mm-hmm.
1: Two uh, great tastes that... I, they, they, would ta- they would taste fine together, they would actually. Taste,
0: they would taste okay together. Yeah,
1: they would be fine together. Yeah.
0: I might not say great, but I would say healthy. <laughs> this, tea you... tastes, this tea tastes healthy. Mm. Okay, listen,
1: you would say um, unappealing, because if you put nettle and bilberry together, the result would be a very... Astringent tea. There will be that astringent Yeah, you would not love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I I would love that. And if you are out there, a person who tends to like hold on to water and run a little damp, you also might really like it. Mm-hmm. If you are a person who tends to be really dry, you might not like it as much.
0: But don't worry because there's uh, ways that we can formulate our nettle and our bilberry with some friends, so that they won't be any problem for those of us who are on the dry side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, we're recording this on December 26th, 2023, and we're going to get it uh, published later today. And that means that if you're listening to this um, as soon as it hits your feed, you still have time to get in on our annual sale.
1: Semi-annual sale. Indeed. Semi-annual sale.
0: That means twice a year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, supplies are not limited. Time is not really running out. I mean, okay, December will end and then the sale will end, but don't worry, it'll be back in July. Um, We have this sale every six months, is every year in July, every year in December for the whole month. It is 20% off everything, anything of of our online courses that you want. You can use it as many times as you want. It will work every time, Mm -hmm. and the reason is just that this way, people who have budgetary constraints, or if you're a teacher, or a first responder, or a service member, or a senior, or just have disability um, issues, or whatever else, um, all the things that people would make 10 million different coupon codes for, um, those coupon codes are actually really hard to maintain and keep updated, so uh, instead... Every year, every six months, we do a 20% off everything. You don't have to apply. You don't have to be like in an approved service sector or whatever. You just get the 20% off every six months. So that's now uh, until the end of December. And the code that you're going to need uh, is kindness. So pick anything you want, pick everything you want, and put in the code kindness and get 20% off. Yeah. Oh, do that at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Almost forgot that part.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the place. All right, or click the link in the show notes and it will take you to our course catalog. Hooray. Okay, one more thing before we get started, and that is our reclaimer, where we remind you that we are not doctors, we are herbalists and holistic health educators.
1: The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only.
0: We want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as an objective standard, it's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. So keep in mind that we're not attempting to present a single dogmatic right way that you should adhere to.
1: Everyone's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some new information to think about and some ideas to research and experiment with further.
0: Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, and it doesn't mean that you're to blame for your current state of health, but it does mean that the final decision when you're considering any course of action, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by a physician, that's always your choice to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about nettle and... and bilberry. And we're going to start with nettle today. So in the botanical Latin, we have urtica dioica. Dioica? I-O-I? That's kind of fun. Yeah. Dioica. Um,
1: I, I really mm-hmm. always feel the need to preface any discussion of nettle with an outright admission that I do not like nettle. Um, and I think that that's really important because... Um, you mean the flavor, you mean the Yes, the flavor, it, the flavor, the flavor, the tea. flavor. the mm-hmm. flavor. Nettle is amazing and really effective and, and fantastic and I just think it tastes really gross. Um, and I want you to know that because you hear herbalists talking about how wonderful nettle is. or uh, honestly, you hear this about any herb that an herbalist loves. and I like I'm thinking about calamus because we talk about calamus in rather glowing terms, but I think if you tasted calamus for the first time, you might be like, uh, no, this is pretty gross actually. Um, so, so I don't want you to think that if you are new to herbalism or just new to any given herb and you try it and you're like, that does not taste good. I don't want you to think that means you can't be an herbalist. (laughs) Like you don't get kicked out of the herbal club just because... Um, a certain tea doesn't taste good to you or even if lots of different teas don't taste good to you um, there are lots of ways to make it taste good and um, like the actions and the benefits that that you get from it definitely are worth finding the ways to make it delicious Mm. to you but I just I just always like to take the opportunity to say like not every herbalist is out here like, mmm, tea that tastes like grass. It's so delicious. <laughs> like, And if you're thinking that it tastes like grass and that's disgusting, and you're thinking that means you can't be an herbalist, don't worry. I also think it tastes like grass and that's disgusting. And I just put other tasty things in with it so that <laughs> it tastes better.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have as much of that problem. I mean, I think straight up nettle tea yeah grass that's a like a fair that's a fair descriptor, you know it's a very green vegetal type of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it's not terrible for me, it's more what we were saying earlier. like if I just drink straight up nettle all day long, um, I'll start to get dryness and it will be obvious on me because I'm already kind of up against that line as it's as it stands, you know um, so yeah. That's all right. That's a thing that happens.
1: You know, well, this that actually is a good segue into talking about um, marshmallow, mm-hmm. which I really want to do um, because the drying aspect of nettles, while that is very great for a body like mine, mm-hmm. it is a thing that like gets in the way for people of working with nettle. Because, because honestly, if you want the nutritive benefits of nettle, if you want a lot of the kidney support benefits of nettle, a lot of the different things that nettle can do for you, it does best as tea. But if you are a person who runs really dry and you're trying to work with nettle really quickly, it's going to become super uncomfortable for you because of the drying aspect. And that's going to just make it hard for you to get you know, experience with this plant and to, and to have the benefits of, um, that this plant can provide. So, yeah, so I really do want to take a minute to talk about marshmallow um, in, in specific relation to nettle, because often we will talk about like, oh, and if nettle is drying, just mix it with marshmallow so that you get the moistening action and that'll, that'll help you tolerate the, the nettle. And when when it is said that way, and we say it that way, but lots of people say it that way. Like, I know I've, I've just said it sort of very quickly like that. But that sort of implies that you're diluting the effect of the nettle by just, like, putting in this other thing that is just going to counteract the dryness. But, okay, great, now I'm only getting half the the nettle that I could have been getting. (laughs) Um, And and so I really do want to emphasize that marshmallow actually has a lot of the same actions that nettle has, but is like as drying as nettle is, marshmallow is moistening. Um, And so it isn't just, oh, well, if you're one of those sad people who runs dry, I guess it's too bad for you that you're only going to get half the nettle in your life because you're going to have to mix it with marshmallow. But actually, um, what that's what's really going on is, hey, if nettle is drying for you, don't worry. You can add in marshmallow, which has many, many of the same actions, but with a slightly different mechanism. And you'll be getting the moistening action and a much broader spectrum of the kidney support and the mineral nourishment and, you know, uh, et cetera. Yeah,
0: some anti-inflammatory effects there, yeah. right. yeah
1: yeah yeah so um so instead of just saying oh and if you're drying just moisten it with marshmallow I really did want to take just a little extra minute to be like uh that's actually a bonus for you that's not like a sad thing that's like actually an awesome thing
0: yeah so you can combine your nettle leaf uh you know in your infusions together with marshmallow leaf and that will be a little lighter uh, in terms of adding in that moistening element or Balancing out the drying effect of the nettle, you could make that infusion with nettle leaf and marshmallow root, and that will get you closer to a to a balance mm. <laughs> between the between the two um, opposing factions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know those are those are options for sure. Try them both, you know, to see how how you feel about what you get, like what the mm. end result is the the next morning. And by that I mean that these are a really good um, pair of herbs to be doing longer infusions with. You can put your herbs in a jar or a French press, and you can pour on your boiling water and close it up, and then leave it overnight. And then tomorrow, strain it out and drink that in the first half of the day. Mm. And uh, it will still taste pretty good. And, I mean, it will taste like no, okay? <laughs> so you may need to adjust with some sweetness or some sourness or whatever feels good to you there. Some
1: minty goodness, whatever <clears throat> yeah, appeals yeah. to you.
0: Yeah. Um, But, uh, you do have sort of like, you want to hit like a golden hour with this, right? We want to give it several hours, four hours, eight hours, you know, whatever overnight ends up meaning, uh, to infuse. But then...
1: Okay. Overnight needs to mean more than four hours. Just from a sleep perspective. okay. So sometimes (laughs) we do a long
0: infusion, not overnight. We set it up in the morning. We have it four hours later. Okay. But yeah. Okay. We leave it overnight. Um...
1: Just in case you were out there being a night owl thinking you could get away with only four hours in your overnight.
0: Yeah. But the thing is that if you leave your nettle infusion for 20 hours, uh, there's a problem that happens and we call it skunking.
1: (laughs) That is not the technical term. It's just what we call it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it's very evocative and descriptive about what occurs with the flavor of your nettle when it's been sitting in that water for too long. Mm. So long enough to get a good extraction. A nice long overnight infusion is cool for this, but too long and it starts to taste a bit off. Yeah, So you want to catch it in that good moment.
1: Yeah. Um, Also, a lot of times people ask, like, well, can I make it and then just store it in the fridge for a couple of days? And sometimes that works it's like really never my preference but sometimes that does work it will not work with nettle honestly uh, also marshmallow is another herb that it does not work with Mm. the both of them really do get quite funky after the like 20 hour mark yeah yeah i think in the
0: nettle it's because of the protein and in the marshmallow it's because of the mucilage right Mm -hmm. but both of those they get you know they're they start to not smell or taste too good after they've been sitting for a bit
1: yeah
0: um Now, we keep saying marshmallow, marshmallow. There are other moistening herbs in the world, right? You can try to reduce the drying impact of your nettle by combining it with another demulcent herb like linden or even violet. Um, Often, if if it's linden and it's violet, you might need to at least have an equal ratio between your nettle and your moistening herb in order to, like, I don't think you're even going to really neutralize the drying, but you're going to make it really mild instead of pronounced you know mm-hmm. what
1: i mean maybe with linden you might if you really let it get
0: yeah um yeah and depending on how mucilaginous lot. your particular batch of linden is right that, right, right that varies yeah sometimes
1: yeah. you get a really mucilaginous batch and if you let it infuse for the whole time like the whole overnight mm-hmm. then that that would work
0: yeah. Sometimes you'll you'll say, "All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my nettle tea, but it's gonna be one part, and violet's gonna be two parts, mm-hmm. right? Because I really, you know, I don't want to have a, a drying drink, but I do want to get some mineral content and some vitamin green. Um, mm-hmm. That's a that's a good way to go about something like that.
1: I actually really like that you pointed that out because um, it it starts to really differentiate the actions of the nettle and emphasize different actions. So if you are blending your nettle with marshmallow, which you might be doing because you're dry and you don't want to get dried out, or you might be doing just because you want both actions. If you're blending it with marshmallow, you're really emphasizing the kidney function, um, of the pair. of, 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 of Right, of both, the, the kidney actions of both herbs. And so we are supporting kidney health. We are providing the nutrients that, that the kidneys themselves need to be able to do their job. Um, it's really like nourishing the kidneys. Um, and that's going to be really important especially because uh, one thing that I want to bring up, but we'll do it in a minute is chronic kidney disease. Hmm. Um, And that's like kind of a broad spectrum. There can be different types of chronic kidney disease, Um, but both nettle and marshmallow um, are really supportive there. And they're herbs that you can work with. Even if your kidneys are compromised, they're gentle enough that they're going to provide that nourishment and support without being stimulating in a way that creates irritation. So okay, so you're you're pairing your nettle and your marshmallow, and you're really going full on in that in that kidney direction. Whether that is um, like I think maybe I'm getting a UTI, and it's not far enough along that I'm needing to have uva ursi, but I think maybe there might be one getting started, and so I'm gonna just drink quarts and quarts of nettle and marshmallow all the way through to um, I have chronic autoimmune kidney disease, and I'm trying to support my kidneys and make life as easy for them as possible, like that whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. Whereas you also mentioned violet or linden, Mm -hmm. and both of those are really heart-focused herbs um, and also like Mm -hmm. relaxing herbs. And so if you were working with nettle, Um, to get the kidney action, but the reason that you wanted that was as part of a strategy to support cardiovascular health, maybe there's edema going on, maybe there is high blood pressure going on, and maybe it's still in a place that you feel comfortable managing it with herbs, you don't need to be medicated yet, Um, then you would really be getting that kidney-heart connection aspect like the health of the cardiovascular system and the health of the urinary system specifically the kidneys um really play together in high blood pressure in edema in a lot of other um like coronary problems so yeah so that blend really gets you in in that kind of area of focus even though it still is like yeah. seated in the kidneys
0: right and i mean with those two Violet and Lyndon. Together with your nettle, you're also getting a a type of nerve support as well, because with the the two moist herbs there, they have um, like you're saying, relaxing effects uh, on the nervous system, not just the cardiovascular system, but but kind of both together, and those could combine together with nettle, which is not really like you know stimulating or sedating your nervous system, but it is feeding it. And for instance, in our, ner- uh, in our neurological and emotional health course, we, we actually spoke about nettle quite regularly
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: because it turns out that your nerves uh, really require mineral content to be in your, in your blood, in your system, um, at least as much as your bones do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think about minerals, you think about building a, a solid structure like bone, um, but minerals are required to allow electrical signals to be generated mm-hmm. and transmitted through your body. Um, and so there could be a place in in a nervine formula for nettle to take to take uh, take up the role,
1: especially if that formula was targeted towards um, like too much activity. So I'm thinking of anxiety um, or just general anxiousness, um, jitteriness. Um, specifically because it the minerals that your body needs to inhibit certain messages in the nervous system, right? Like your nervous system says, oh, I have a message, I better send it. Okay, that's the like simple explanation of how the nervous system works. But it turns out that there are all these like deciders in the nervous system that say, hold on, that message is really not that important. We really don't need to bother anyone with that. Or really honestly, I think you're exaggerating And let's just sit on this for a minute. Um, These are like
0: nerves talking to each other.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, this is like all of this interplay inside the nervous system. It's not just a one-way indiscriminate message movement system. It is like, there's a lot of intelligence going on to decide whether or not a particular message actually is going to get passed along to the brain. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, minerals play a very pivotal role in making sure that that decision-making process can actually happen. So if you are experiencing a lot of anxiousness, experiencing a lot of like overstimulation or feeling like too much is getting in and you don't have enough filters to like hold some things out, one of the reasons may be not having enough minerals to actually say we don't actually need to worry about that right now. Let's just go ahead and tamp that message down, hmm. like on the internal level, not like telling, like trying to tell your, convince yourself that your worries aren't important, but like actually at the cellular level to say, oh no, let's actually do some filtration of these messages. Not all the messages have to go to the brain.
0: Yeah. So this is making me think of like a a place that we can link together. This idea of like balancing out the drying effects of nettle while still getting as many of its benefits as possible. But it can connect it to this thing <laughs> with the nerves and, the, and the, the mineral content as well. And it's going to happen through soup and through what we call nettle deficiency syndrome mm. and how to solve that. Um, so soup is another good way to work with nettle and to resolve that, that concern about being overly drying. Right? Because your soup can have, well, it can have some fat in it. (laughs) Yeah. You can be making a bone broth and that's gonna have some oily elements. And you throw some handfuls of nettle leaf into your soup and let that cook down. That's gonna extract a lot of mineral content. Plus, if this is something you're actually gonna eat without like straining out and just keeping the liquid, you're gonna eat the nettle leaf bits. Mm -hmm. And that's the way, if you wanna get protein from nettle, that's the way to do it. Because sometimes people will say, yeah, nettle is this excellent herb, it's high in protein. It's a, it's a good alternative source if you're a vegan or whatever else. And then they start talking about taking tincture or even about drinking tea, which I like to do both of those things, but that's not how you get the protein from mm-hmm. nettle, right? Mm-hmm. That protein is bound up in the, in the leafy plant material, or the mark, right? And if you're not eating it, that part isn't really what nettle's offering you today, right? Mm-hmm. You get a tincture, you're definitely going to get the anti-inflammatory action. You're going to get that kidney benefit. Um, you can actually get some blood sugar regulation effect from nettle tincture. If you drink the tea, more of the mineral content comes through in the tea that will release from the plant material, get into your drink, right? So you add that element, but when you make the soup, now you're eating the leaf as well. Mm-hmm. So now you're getting the protein, you're getting all the, all the mineral. Cause none of it's like left behind in the mark, you know, and you get some of it in the drink, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. When you eat it in soup, you're getting all of it there together. So it's a good way to go. And Especially if what we're looking at is this thing that we sometimes call metal deficiency syndrome, which sort of means, well, your diet is kind of beige. Um, it's got a lot of processed food. It's got a lot of packaged food. It's got a lot of restaurant food. Probably tastes amazing, but it may not be providing you all of the nutrients that your body really wants. And that could be about protein, especially digestible protein. Yeah. Mm. It could be about mineral content. It could be about chlorophyll, which is an always underestimated nutrient.
1: Yes. Right.
0: Folate, a bunch of other cool things that come through in your nettle leaf or in your nettle soup. Um, And this whole idea of nettle deficiency syndrome, what does it look like if somebody's like sitting in the clinic or sitting in a class? Maybe they're fatigued. Maybe they have a bit of edema, maybe they have a bit of some neurological issue that might be called depression or might be called anxiety, depending on how the day is going. Um, A cluster of things. Maybe
1: there's like low thyroid function or even low cardiovascular function, like slow movement in the cardiovascular system. Both of those would be coming from mineral deficiency. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there could be you know issues with cramping or with fluid retention if some of your your electrolytes like magnesium and potassium if those are out of balance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, again, that's where we could get some of those nerve symptoms going on.
1: A lot of menstrual um, irritation, like yeah, lots I've... of cramping, <clears throat> lots of PMS, right. slow, sluggish menstruation. Yeah,
0: yeah, and really like through hormonal stu- uh, sex, sex hormonal stuff all the way up to um, infertility issues. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, you probably have a stack of case files which are person comes in dealing with infertility trying to conceive trying to avoid in vitro stuff and you know the master master power interventions are like let's figure out if you've got food allergens let's let's like (laughs) eat some more protein and good quality fats and let's get some nettle into you as much as we can yeah and sleep more and sleep right and then you know a month, two months later, they come back like, ta-da, look at my pregnancy test.
1: <laughs> and, and, like, listen, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. No, it I don't want to like,
0: minimize, like, struggles people have. Okay. Right.
1: But it does happen a shocking number, like, a shocking percentage of the times. Right. And even if it doesn't happen, like, even if those interventions don't, like, fix fertility problems, mm-hmm. what they will do, what, they, what they're definitely doing is still, like, even if you still have to go and get fertility treatments... You're in a better place for those treatments to be successful, um, because you're rebuilding stuff that wasn't there. And so, like, so we're kind of back to this idea of nettle deficiency syndrome. I mean, like, it's kind of a it's kind of a joke to to say that.
0: Yeah, you know, because it's sort of like there's a lot of situations where we'll look at something and we'll say, look, nobody has a a vitex deficiency. So if if someone's been taking vitex and it helps them feel better for their particular particular menstrual irregularities that's cool and all but we have not addressed the root cause of the problem here Mm -hmm. right and we we have a lot of issues with vitex anyway (laughs) you know (laughs) it can it can cause depression it can it can you know disrupt things and it's not the cure-all that people sometimes make it out to be but i think even those people would have to admit that it's not about like correcting an underlying imbalance Mm -hmm. or a nutrient nutrient deficiency or whatever else and really getting to that to that root cause um, but sometimes nettle can address those root causes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So you'll have this like whole list of things that nettle can help with. And they might look like they're not really related at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've just talked about a lot of stuff that's kind of all over the map of the body. Right. But it's, and so it's not necessarily always because nettle is like, binding to some whatever that is going to specifically regulate your other thing. Yeah. It, it is more about, oh, you were like seriously lacking in some fundamental nutrients that nettle is providing so that now you can do the work that your body needs to do. Yeah. And and so so the kind of joke around nettle deficiency syndrome is this did used to be a food. It was a very common food. And for that matter, plants in general were just much more common foods. There was a, a an article, a paper, or something that went around some number of years ago about the number of plant species that humans consumed at a some point in history versus the number of plant species that most humans in, in like industrialized countries consume today. And it was like over a thousand back at some history time species of plants over the course of a year versus like today, it's like 10. You know, like, okay, well, people are eating like wheat and corn and soy and iceberg lettuce potato. and potato and like, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you get the idea, right? And, <laughs> and so, so what that ends up with is that there's like this whole um yeah I, I, in my mind i'm visualizing a pie chart and i'm visualizing like a very large piece of the pie that is just missing from the the like baseline diet of most people today because yeah. we're not eating so many plant species anymore yeah. and all that even before we start to talk about Oh, soil degradation and the plants don't have as much good stuff in it as they used to. Okay, but like, we're not even eating them at all anymore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean,
0: you know, nettle deficiency syndrome, a lot of what it addresses and what it gives to you could Mm -hmm. also be achieved by like making sure you have a big uh, pile of leafy greens on your plate every day. Or it could be dandelion deficiency syndrome. (laughs) Or
1: seaweed deficient. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, when you get a green nutritive herb like this, it can really address a pretty broad array of problems. And if that's um, the kind of nourishment that's lacking in someone's diet, this is a really great thing to start on. Give it a month or two. Give it a season see what remains after that point. Mm-hmm. And generally what remains will be a lot less and a lot easier to move from that point than from where you started. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, okay, so I keep mentioning chronic kidney stuff and I do want to make sure that we talk about that um, because chronic kidney issues are becoming more and more common. And And like, listen, if you... If you work as an herbalist, whether you are doing that work just in your own family or in your community, um, just because they know that you like plants and they ask you questions or whatever, or whether you're doing that work professionally as a clinical herbalist, um, the kinds of people that we work with typically have chronic illnesses, have autoimmune illnesses have long-standing or, and or complex health problems um, simply because if they didn't, we wouldn't see them, right? Like when it's something quick and easy, uh, then yeah, they might come to us if they're already like plant people. But when it's quick and easy, they may also just go to their doctor and get an antibiotic and be done with it. You know, like there's just, or they might just do nothing. There's There are a lot of options for quick, easy, slash not really irritating, like irritating but not really serious things. But when it starts to get really serious and complex, um, the the conventional medical system is, maybe they can address one part of it, but they don't address the whole complexity very well. Hmm. And so people who have complex health issues are the people who tend to seek help in more holistic kinds of ways because they're trying to deal with the interconnectedness of different chronic issues or um, just yeah. the complexity of their their state. So mm-hmm. my point here is that um, we, we do tend to see larger percentages of those kinds of things, which means we have to be prepared to deal with them. And... But it also kind of skews our um, perception, maybe, of the general population. Like, I am seeing tons of chronic kidney stuff and and accelerating chronic kidney stuff. So, you know... 10, among, among
0: students, clients. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 and, and 15 and even 20 years ago, maybe I would talk to somebody about kidney issues like once a year, you know, it was not super, super common or, you know, chronic kidney issues. I'm not thinking about a UTI, but like somebody with autoimmune kidney disease or something like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you can, you can step back and be like, so what, what would cause a population of people to experience higher rates of a problem like that? Mm -hmm. And with the kidney, we can look at a bunch of different things, right? Um, You know, one of them is simply the, the, that it's going to rise together, with rates of pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, Mm -hmm. which have been on an uptick for many decades at this point, but, you know, it hasn't really slacked off that much. Um, You know, in there, it's because when you have uh, these problems, you have more sugar in your blood. That makes it thicker. That makes it harder for the kidney to filter. Mm -hmm. That gives the kidney more job to filter sugar out than other stuff that Mm -hmm. should be be resolved. And so it starts to struggle, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, and then, of course, now well, we've got COVID and I know you're probably sick of hearing about COVID every episode, but look, it can have impacts on kidney tubules and their capacity to filter and to sort through everything in the blood and, and function well. So it's, it's one of many sites in the body that struggle with that infection Mm -hmm. and, and its impacts.
1: Um, And just also general rates of autoimmunity are increasing pretty, pretty drastically. Um, And so If we're we're looking at like, well, all auto... Across the board, autoimmune issues are rising. Okay, that means that we're going to see more autoimmune kidney disease too, just because all the different types of autoimmune issues are rising. The the
0: rising tide lifts all kidney-shaped boats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: So, okay, so chronic kidney uh, ailments. That is one really cool thing for nettle, because a lot of our kidney herbs especially when you're thinking in terms of UTI, are really too stimulating for somebody who has chronic kidney issues. Mm
0: -hmm. Uva Ursi, juniper berry Mm
1: -hmm. could
0: be irritating. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But um, nettle is actually not just not too stimulating, but also really beautifully supportive for somebody with chronic kidney issues. Now, again, we definitely need to take the energetics into consideration. And if it is a person who runs dry, um, then of course we're going to put in the marshmallow. We're not even going to feel sad about it because the marshmallow is going to be providing a lot of what we need to do this work as well. Both, uh, both marshmallow and nettle are super helpful for chronic kidney issues. Um, but that is... I think just a really beautiful aspect of nettle that it is, it, it's really common. It grows, it, it will happily grow nearly and anywhere. Um, and it is really safe for almost all people. Okay. If somebody on blood thinners, we're going to, we're going to need to like double check that one because mm. different blood thinners you shouldn't have nettle with. Um, but otherwise it's really safe across the board it has a lovely anti like broad spectrum anti-inflammatory effect and then that that just such strong support nourishment for the kidneys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so I think it's like a really if you have not really taken some time to make friends with nettle yet in your herbal journey now is the time because y- you may need it. Uh, In the future, and your community is definitely going to need it in the future. Yeah. Or the now. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, why don't we go on and talk about bilberry next? So this one is in the botanical Latin. It's called Vaccinium myrtilus. And it's worth maybe talking about um, some related species and some other names for bilberry. Um, This is sometimes just called European blueberry, because it's basically a blueberry that lives in Europe. Um, (laughs) And blueberry itself... Um, that there's a variety of, of species that are, that are referred to as blueberry, right? You can have Vaxinium angustifolium, which is kind of the most common, I think, but also um, Vaxinium corimbosum or pallidum. Those are all, those are all called blueberry. Um, the bilberry, it can also sometimes be called huckleberry or whortleberry. Um, so again, lots of names, but if you see, uh, you know, a, a, a bush with some blueberries on it and it's in the era family or uh, all of that, then yeah. Okay. Blueberry, bilberry. That's it, fine.
1: Basically all the blueberries look the same. Um, the only difference is how big they are. Mm-hmm. So if it's a teeny tiny thing, but it is very obviously a blueberry, it is a blueberry. Mm-hmm. And if it's a big fat juicy thing and it is obviously a blueberry, it is a blueberry. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of depends on how improved the species is um so the the wild ones tend to be really small and the plants tend to be much more delicate and low to the ground mm. and the like cultivated domesticated whatever the ones that they farm from so that they can sell you blueberries in the grocery store tend to be like fairly tall like little shrubs they can be taller than me and and have like some stout branches and they tend to produce the big fat blueberries that you buy from the grocery store, right. but they're all blueberries.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, just as, a, as an aside here, um, cranberry is also very closely related. Cranberry is another vaccinium. That particular one is vaccinium macrocarpon. Um, and there's a lot of similarity between cranberry and blueberry and bilberry. Um, there's some points of differentiation Of course, cranberry, um, you know, the fruit and the juice and extracts from it are like more famous as a remedy for a UTI, but don't let that throw you too hard and don't let that make you think that bilberry or its juice or tea from its leaves isn't going to have similar types of benefit, right? If you have a UTI and you have a choice between blueberry juice and cranberry juice, yeah, okay, the cranberry is probably better for you.
1: But if you can't stomach the cranberry, then get the blueberry. Yeah, drink it. Yeah. That's good stuff. Wait, I have a question. Okay, I want to hear it. If you have a really small cranberry...
0: Microcarpon?
1: That's what I want to know.
0: <laughs> There's some... There, uh, I don't remember which species it was. Not not a vaccinium, like some totally other thing that, that is a mm. microcarpon, but I can't remember who.
1: Yeah, I just want... I just like... You know, what if it's just, it's just a little, little baby little cranberry, cranberry. that can be vaccinium microcarbons. Yeah. Why not? yeah okay. Well, I just, <laughs> I just wanted to get that, yeah that question answered.
0: So, I mean, I don't think we have to like tell people that blueberry fruit is, um, you know, pleasant or like nice to eat or that it can be a nice snack. Uh, you probably knew that already. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's probably not breaking news.
0: Yeah. Um, but, uh, It is, let's say, a particularly good snack, any of these berries, any of any of any berries, honestly, for folks who are struggling with blood sugar problems, Mm -hmm. because they taste good, I hope to you. They taste sweet. They're pleasant. There's the sour element in there. Um, But these are not going to spike your blood sugar to bad places. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, even if you compare eating a handful of blueberries to eating a handful of mango bits. The blueberry is going to be better for you, yeah. right? And then if you compare it to a handful of Skittles, well, there's a huge difference. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. if you are trying to make changes in your eating habits, mm-hmm. and you have a habit of, um, like, maybe it's mid afternoon and you eat some M Ms because that's how you get through. You want to have day. little
0: small things and take them one at a time.
1: Yeah, like a, <laughs> like a blueberry. Yeah. Okay, the flavor is very different than an M M&M, M, but. But in terms of the habit, yeah. it's it is the same habit. It's like I'm just going to take a little round thing and put it in my mouth, and pretty quickly you can adjust yourself to blueberries instead of yeah. instead of MMs. Yeah.
0: But you can also go a little further on that, and you can be like, all right, well, look, I've got I've got this um, person in my family. They've got fairly advanced diabetes. They're on these medications and so on, and they really have to watch their sugar intake super closely. And even mostly they do it, but I wanted to make them a nice, a nice treat when they come to visit. So what, what should I think about? Well, if we take some blueberries and some other berry friends and we get, um, some like heavy coconut cream Mm -hmm. and then we dust it with a generous amount of cinnamon, uh, powder all Mm -hmm. over, then we've actually got a treat that is low in sugar, high in tasty um, and offer some herbal friends that will really help with blood sugar regulation, both from that snack, but also from the rest of your day.
1: Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, mm. it helps so much that if you're a person who is medicated for diabetes and you're going to now like really incorporate this into your life, it's not a bad idea to test your blood, your fasting blood glucose levels, just to to watch because your baseline is very likely to reduce and to do so over a reasonably short period of time. Like if you start saying, I'm going to eat a thing of blueberries every day, or I'm going to start working with bilberry every day, you could see some pretty significant changes over the course of a few weeks or a month. And they might be changes that are significant enough that you could or even might need to reduce your dose of the medication. So... So it is important, but also fun to test and see the the impact that you're having.
0: Yeah, with these herbs that can help to regulate blood sugar and, and improve how your body manages that, we're always thinking about them in the context of someone who may be medicated, um, just because that that tends to be how that plays out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the one of the nice things here um, about 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 working with these herbs is that. Even if somebody is, like we say, you know, they're taking these medications that's helping them to get their blood sugar into a better place, it's worth knowing that those medications, especially the, the, the newest ones like Ozempic and Wegovy, and those are both names, I think, for semaglutide, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I think Ozempic is probably the name people know best about that. Um, when those were approved, both for diabetes management and the newer step for, for weight loss, the the clinical trials weren't done like go and eat your normal diet do whatever you've been doing but now we give you this drug mm-hmm. they were we give you this drug and we give you diet advice and we give you exercise instructions and like journals to make sure that you keep up with them and all of that kind of stuff so it's it's not so much that like there's a world where that people are supposed to be taking the drug and then maybe if they're lucky they get instruction about like you know diet and exercise and so on the way the drug was intended was Mm -hmm. for all of these things to be happening at the same time Mm -hmm. and so when we're talking about like dietary changes that can improve blood sugar regulation like reducing sugar and getting more protein or whatever when we're talking about like well what are going to be your snacks you know and how can we get blueberry and bilberry and cinnamon into them for you that's that's that is like complementary work you know complementary and alternative medicine but it's also necessary all right that's supposed to be part of the plan
1: and 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 again, just to really emphasize, the studies were done with that. So, like, if you say, "Oh, well, this study says that metformin or Ozempic or whatever is going to control my diabetes," it's important to regulate to recognize that the study was not done with the only intervention being the medication. The study right. was done with a cohort of interventions one of which was the medication right, right. but the pro- and,
0: and so when you know when you see these commercials or these these case reports or these like glowing reviews or whatever you know these people lost 10 percent, 15 percent of their body weight when they took this that wasn't the only thing that changed for them mm-hmm. you know
1: and the problem is that most people are not getting that counseling um And and it's not because, like, the medical establishment is trying to hide something from you. A lot of times it's because that education hasn't filtered down to your actual practitioner. A lot of times it's simply because your practitioner does not have time. Um, they, They have to see, you know, 15, 20, 25 patients a day, and they don't have a lot of time to educate patients on exactly all of the nuances of things. Um, there just simply isn't enough time to see 25 people and do all that education. So it's not like some kind of nefarious conspiracy or anything like that. It's just that the, the system doesn't support the kind of counseling that needs to happen for for all people, actually, no matter what you, whether it's diabetes or whatever else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for any of y'all listening who are, who are practicing herbalists or clinical herbalists, um, this is a really important thing to kind of put into your mind and to be able to explain to other folks. Um, cause it can really help to kind of bridge that gap, you know, or cover mm-hmm. that, cover that space um, between what people expect and what they're really going to need to do if they, if they want the results that they're hoping for. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's just another place where like, we don't have, it doesn't have to be either, or it doesn't have to be black and white and binary and all the ways that I'm trying to say the same thing here. Um, Herbalists and conventional medicine can work together. This is just one of a million ways that we can support somebody's goals with their conventional pharmaceutical strategies with our herbs and holistic strategies. Like like we can say, oh great, you've been put on metformin. Uh, there's probably a bunch of stuff that they didn't have a chance to tell you. So first let's find out if they did. And let's look at how we can also be supporting that safely um, so that we can get you the best possible outcome. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. Totally.
1: Um, Okay. Well, speaking of the best possible outcome, and here we're talking about blood sugar management and diabetes and everything else, Bill Berry um, and all of its friends... All of its vaccinium buddies um, are really supportive of cardiovascular health, very specifically to the blood vessels themselves. Hmm. They help to repair damage in the walls, like the actual structure. You can think about Bilberry as like infrastructure week, right? It's like if you just imagine that your blood vessels are roads throughout your body where all of the delivery trucks are driving to drop off all of the resources to all of the cells in your body. And just from the normal wear and tear of life, uh, exactly like the roads in your community, Roads get potholes, so do blood vessels. They just have damage that happens and it needs to be repaired. And that is normal. That is just the way the body works. So, okay, all throughout history, every time that human animals went around eating berries, it was like, oh, great. Now I can repair some potholes in my blood vessels. Okay, but as humans have progressed, it turns out that we have developed our society in certain ways that create many more potholes. Um, Partially because we no longer consume the foods quite so regularly that help us repair the potholes, which means that we've like cut our repair staff, but also um, foods that are introduced, that have been introduced over the past like 50 to 100 years are often things that directly create damage in the vasculature
0: so if you're over there thinking about sugar you're on point (laughs)
1: Uh uh-huh exactly or like canola oil or a lot of the other industrial seed oils um so then another factor and this is a factor that we discovered uh or it may have been discovered sooner but it has been like brought into the mainstream medical science through COVID, though COVID is not the only virus that can do this, Mm -hmm. um, but COVID directly damages the, the walls of the blood vessels. And that damage creates cardiovascular problems. It creates organ problems too, because even if there was no damage to the organs caused by COVID and other types of viruses, there is, but, there is yeah. but let's say uh-uh. there wasn't. When we damage the delivery network, then the organs and in each individual cell, they're not getting the resources that they need to function, you know, not even optimally, but just like passingly, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. so So this damage to the blood vessels is why we see In a diabetic, for example, we see the diabetic neuropathy, and all the way down to wounds not healing in the feet, and even like having to amputate toes. It really is coming from the damage to the blood vessels.
0: Right, but also uh, blindness. Right, Right. like in the other direction, which is uh, another risk, uh, another another major risk for people who are diabetic, and especially if it's not managed well over a period of time, there can be a lot of damage to the eyes. Why? Because the eyes have uh, a lot of these capillaries, these tiny blood vessels that are most susceptible to the kind mm-hmm. of damage that you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, it's not going to be like, like an enormous vein that you can see in, in, in your wrist, right? <laughs> or like, uh, you know, something like that.
1: I uh, mean, well, unless you're talking about varicose veins, in which case like that, a lot of that is this kind of damage. There true. are other things playing into that as well, but true, this right. is one of them.
0: Yeah. But, you know, you're a tiny blood vessel. You're mostly wall. <laughs> yeah. So, there's, you know, there's more, more of that to, to get harmed. But so, you know, in the eyes, um, that's a place where, where that damage can accumulate. And, you know, people can get the diabetic retinopathy, right? Mm-hmm. Like the retina is being damaged mm-hmm. because of that. Um, we can kind of swing back around to, you know, if you look in some older herbal books, you'll see references to bilberry being beneficial for eyesight and for eye health, mm-hmm. especially, again, over the long term of a person's life. Um, and like, you can make that connection through this kind of knowledge, right? right. You can say, well, what, how could an herb make a benefit for the eyes? Like, what's special about the eyes? What kind of tissue is in the eye that this herb can access and act upon? Um, and we can, we can see that through these, these, uh, these capillaries, these tiny blood vessels mm-hmm. here. Um, with B- bilberry, right. You're getting, you're getting at least two types of effect that are protecting these tissues. There's that one of like directly providing these like structural elements that keep them strong and flexible and able to not get, you know, uh, oxidized or damaged or full of potholes. <laughs> um, but then there's also that effect of, Bringing down the blood sugar in the system as a whole, right? Because the more sugar is around, well, the more damage occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's like uh, gasoline that can spark up any little fires that are there, mm-hmm. take a little pinprick of inflammation and make it into a wound uh, in those tissues. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of see those actions um, reflected in the capacity of this herb to protect your eyes or even to to you know improve uh, eye health. Mm-hmm. I yeah, a... and again,
1: that's it's one of those things where if you Google bilberry, you'll see like, oh, it improves eye health and it improves heart health, and you might be like, what? I don't understand why those things. It's just like some kind of magic. I don't know why do those yeah. go together. Right, right. And it's it's because it's it's about the blood vessels. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, when I was first learning herbalism with you, mm-hmm. uh, first couple of years, I I had laser eye surgery done. And the version I got was called PRK. It's done directly on the surface of the eye instead of like with LASIK, they kind of make a little flap and peel that back and then reshape in the middle layer. Um, I got the one done right on the surface. And the downside is the recovery period is like lie in a, lie in a dark room for a week. So that was actually really interesting from like a sleep perspective. (laughs) What happens when you don't have bright lights on in the house for a couple of weeks and, and all of that. It was, it was a cool experiment, but, um, I took bilberry for a month before that surgery and a month afterward, and um, I think it made a difference because my eye doctor said I had the best recovery he'd ever seen from that particular operation. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, now it's 10, 15 years later, and I can still see all the needles on the pine trees out there. My eyes are doing I can't
1: even see them with my glasses on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... So, yeah, I, uh, I think that's, that's a a little anecdote, um, Mm -hmm. about the, the benefit that Bilberry can have there. They're in more of an acute situation, right? Right, Or, uh, you know, it's not like a chronic lifelong thing. It was a a specific incident that I was preparing for and then recovering from.
1: You know, I want to also, um, make just a little connection here with all, we're talking about all these different kinds of vascular damage Mm -hmm. and, and diabetes and cardiovascular disease, but I want to tie in cholesterol because cholesterol, the, the individual cells of cholesterol, one of their many functions in the body is to fill in the potholes, to make a little scab inside your blood vessels so that the wall of the blood vessel is able to heal, just like a wound on your skin and you get a scab and then underneath the scab, the cells are healing. The same thing happens on your blood vessels. And so when we, when we look at bilberry, cranberry, et cetera, and we see claims that they can lower cholesterol levels, again, that might sound like, this is ridiculous. How could that possibly happen? Well, it's happening because it is healing. It is improving the ability mm. for those blood vessels to heal and, and restore themselves. And the more that they can do that, the less requirement there is for cholesterol. If you have a lot of wounds on the inside of your blood vessels, your body will say, Oh, no, I have to produce a lot of cholesterol right now so that I can get scabs on all those wounds so that I can heal my blood vessels. Well... If you just keep getting wounds on top of wounds on top of wounds, because all the different factors in, in modern diets and whatever else that create those wounds, uh, then you're just getting scabs on top of scabs on top of scabs, which inside of the blood vessels, that is a big old clump of cholesterol. And ultimately, that's going to cause a lot of problems because, I mean, I think probably if you had scabs forming and reforming on your skin, that would also, you'd get scars scars and and other kinds of things too. Um, We don't think of it in the same way because we can see a scab on our skin and we can't see this stuff happening inside our blood vessels. But it is like the same thing. Um, So yes, so uh, these berries, they're pretty great. That's what I have to say. Okay, one other thing, though, is that tying it back to COVID, we're seeing, like, COVID, you know, listen, I know that I think in the last three podcasts we've brought up COVID, and um, it can be really easy to just be so sick of hearing about COVID. But the reason that it's important to talk about it is because the important part of COVID is not the coughing and the respiratory, whatever. I mean, that can be quite serious and it can right. be a really big problem, but, but, um, the, that is sort of an acute problem. And hopefully, hopefully most people can get through that part. It is not always the case. Um, uh, that part can also be fatal, but, a lot of people experience a mild covid infection and then sort of don't really understand what the big deal is because they're like well it was like the flu it was not very fun but like i got through it and the the, the, oh,
0: idea, the idea is now i'm done
1: yeah mm-hmm. now i'm done and and the the like media or wherever we get education about these things is not really doing a very good job of explaining the the actual long term problem from covid and as herbalists, it's that long term problem that we are going to have to deal with more and more. And also, we're the ones with the really good tools to deal with it. Right. So, when you get COVID, you have a respiratory infection and you cough and it's terrible, and you know, or maybe it's not so bad for you. Um, and then you stop coughing, ideally, and you go back to your life, ideally. Um, some people will get long COVID and maybe you don't and you think, ah, lucky, great, okay, I'm fine. But what's really going on is that now the virus is inside and it's like filtering through to places where it's not going to make you cough anymore and making changes in your body. And these cardiovascular problems, these the damage to the arteries and the veins is one of the changes that it makes. And that is going to, over time, if it's not dealt with, it is going to cause cardiovascular problems, heart attack, other kinds of cardiovascular disease, or neurological problems, or whatever else, all the problems that happen when the delivery system breaks down in your body. And it, there really aren't pharmaceuticals that tell your body You should repair all the blood vessels now. Like that, (laughs) there's not a drug for that, but there are herbs for that. And so, if we just look at the whole population, because at this point, most people have had COVID at least once, if we just look at the whole population and say, okay, we know that there are these long term problems that COVID is causing, and we know that there are herbs some of them quite pleasant like blueberries that can actually stimulate the body to do the repair work for that kind of damage i mean if you ask me we should like we should be investing at the federal level in blueberry farms so that everybody gets blueberry <laughs> deliveries every every day or like every morning like the milkman used to be like he would show up and bring the milk whatever no we can show up and bring the blueberries <laughs> so that everybody's blood vessels can be repaired yeah no it would be pretty great
0: mm. anyway yeah hey, so go
1: ahead. yeah
0: maybe one, maybe one twist on all that um, what we've been saying about blueberry and huckleberry and whortleberry and also cranberry basically, a lot of this stuff also applies to mulberry and to strawberry and definitely to goji berry
1: raspberry blackberry
0: let's go wild schizandra why not yeah (laughs) right um a lot of the berries share many of these effects in common Mm -hmm. you can even look at them through the lens of taste right Mm -hmm. these berries tend to be a little bit sweet and a decent amount of sour um sour is connected in traditional medicine and in practical experience and just empirical observation to managing fluids in the body, draining out excess fluids. Mm-hmm. In the ancient world, people would look at someone with type 2 diabetes, and the first thing they would see would be the stuck fluid and the the edema and the, the fluid bloating on the body. And they would say, well, I'm going to give you sour berries. I'm going to give you sumac berry. That's mm-hmm. a really good one uh, because that's going to help to drain that excess fluid out. But we can look at it now and we can say, well, yeah, but at the same time, you've got these anthocyanins protecting the blood vessels. You've got these beneficial impacts on insulin sensitivity throughout the body. Those are going to add extra layers of, of benefit to a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're hearing us talk about blueberry and you're like, well, I don't have any huckleberries or whortleberries around <laughs> me, uh, but I do have, um, what, aronia berry. Great. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Yeah. Right? Um, if you, if you happen to be in the Amazon and you have, um,
1: acai berries, uh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, you don't need to import them, <laughs> yeah. but if you already live there, then go right ahead. Right. Right. You know, we can also look at this from the sciencey perspective. We, we look and say at the, the taste that is similar between them all, but there's also appearance that's similar between them all in that they are all these deep colors of reds and blues mm-hmm. and the pigments that like the actual molecules that make the red and make the blue have specific functions in your body. It isn't like they represent a function. This is always, I, I, this blows my mind every time. The color red, the the molecule that makes that color is the molecule that does a lot of this anti-inflammatory work and cellular repair work in your body. The same for the color purple, the same for the color blue. Those pigments. They look cool with your eyes, but once they get inside your body, they are going to work. They are doing stuff in your body to improve your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we see these berries and they all have these colors, now, okay, listen, that doesn't mean that any red berry in the world yeah. is going to rebuild your blood vessels because some right. of them are poisonous. Like,
0: like <laughs> don't don't go eat those. suppose be like, oh, I'm gonna eat my bittersweet nightshade berries, and I'm gonna eat a, <laughs> a handful of poke berries all at once, and
1: I'm gonna eat you. <laughs> berries yeah. like yeah don't do that yeah, don't no. do that no, no, no. <laughs> so we are spe- specifically talking about the edible berries yeah. that have like s- stick to those right. um right. but these co- oh elderberry falls into this category as well like if you hear about elderberry you're always thinking about like oh it fights the flu it, right but also it rebuilds your blood vessels that's really cool
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah cool so yes enjoy your berries yes all right great i think
1: uh i was there another one no but i do think that we should emphasize especially since we have talked so much about cardiovascular cardiovascular health in this episode we should emphasize the cardiovascular health course oh yeah um which uh especially if you were like hold on cholesterol like what you just said about that kind of blew my mind <laughs> um and if you are thinking about Repairing the cardiovascular system post COVID, if you're like any of those things, if
0: you're thinking about uh, I need to do better for my blood parameters after my holiday eating
1: habits, yes, <laughs> have, yes, uh, yes, have, yes,
0: have gone to their fullest extent. Well, yes, before. all
1: of that is in the cardiovascular health course, which until the end of December is twenty percent off with the code Kindness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will find the cardiovascular health course along with all of our courses on urinary health digestive health clinical herbalism herbal business stuff like all sorts of things medicine
0: making formulation we've got you covered
1: yes at are you ready you can type it in your phone right now it is online mm-hmm.
0: and there's a link in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> All right that's it for us We'll be back again soon with some more holistic herbalism podcast for you until then. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, drink some tea, drink some tea, and huckle your wortles, <laughs> if, if you can.
1: With your microcarpons, <laughs> <laughs> and your macrocarpons.
0: All right, everybody, bye.
1: Bye.